Okay, uh, we'll, we'll make a start. So, uh, good afternoon, everyone. My, my name is uh, Hedley Swain. I'm director of museums at Arts Council England. Uh, when we uh, were arranging to have this meeting, uh, Marion said, we'll have it on a Friday. I said, don't do it on a Friday. No one will come to London on a Friday. And she said, no, they'll come. To, they'll come. And then, then she presented this wonderful programme that finished about six o'clock. And I said, are you mad? <laughs> on a Friday? And I'd forgotten, of course, the incredible draw that is the Victorian Albert Museum. So I'm very incredibly grateful to you all too for, for staying. And it's Friday late. And it's Friday late, yes. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> kind of, kind of fun. It's Islamic Friday. <laughs> and if the heckling from the V&A can now stop. <laughs> so uh, I just wanted very briefly to take the opportunity to firstly echo some of the things Simon said this morning, firstly to, to thank uh, the, the V&A for putting on such a brilliant day and again thank Marianne for superb not only organisation but philosophical thinking organisation so many many thanks to you but I'd also like to thank uh, my own colleagues uh, Annalise and Helen from the Arts Council who have also helped um, from, from our side it's also um, I feel much reassured um, over, over so, several things I mean we, we've said uh, as Simon said, museums came to the Arts Council uh, just over a year ago, and I think hopefully today has demonstrated what a safe home museums have in the Arts Council, because I think a lot of the discussions we've had today have just flowed effortless, effortlessly between, unlike what I've just been able to say, effortlessly between sort of arts and contemporary arts and collecting, and, and this, this incredibly powerful idea that so much of contemporary art and contemporary culture comes out of tradition and, and historic collections and there is this wonderful dynamic between them that today's contemporary culture becomes tomorrow's historic collections which will then inspire future future generations so that's that's been brilliant and it's also I've also been inspired with within Arts Council we have something called the creative case for diversity when we thought about well, why is diversity in the arts so important? Well, we went through, well, there's the legal reasons why diversity is important, there are the ethical reasons, there are the economic reasons, but actually what you come down to is the creative reasons. You know, culture is just so much richer when it is diverse. And again, I think a lot of what we've discussed today is, has proved that to be uh, so. I think also it's very clear that the idea of this last hour is to have a discussion about you know, what we might do next. And I think what's pretty clear is we almost certainly will not come to a conclusion because so many ideas have been touched on today, you know, ranging through you know, curatorial ideas, um, engagement, uh, you know, lots and lots of ideas. We almost certainly won't come to any final conclusion, so almost certainly we will want to do something else. But we can, we can uh, start that. Uh, I also found out brilliantly that I am officially an elder, uh, based on the <laughs> definition, which I always guessed I was, but I now know for certain. Uh, but before we go on, we, we also have um, uh, three very brief pop-up presentations, which are not in your uh, uh, programme, to help us stimulate discussion. So um, I'm going to ask in a moment Louisa Mangoni, who I think is here from the V&A, Curator of China, to speak very briefly on... Uh, monument fund sponsored projects then uh, Miranda Goody from uh, the Potteries Museum in Stoke will talk very briefly about the ceramic subject specialist network um, uh, that might act as an inspiration for stuff we, we might want to do and then uh, Sarah Phillips from the Art Fund will also speak very briefly to, to, to stimulate us so uh, first Louisa Right. Um, well, thank you very much, Mariam, for inviting me to this workshop. And um, as you can see, I'm a curator for China, so it may be a bit um, different from what you have heard so far. But um, what we have been doing through the Monument Fund uh, Fellowship is something that I think would be very relevant to um, what you may want to do in the uh, future. And um, in 2011, the uh, Museum Association granted a um, Monument Fund Fellowship to Rose Kerr, who was um, the former keeper of the East Asian section here at the V&A um, until 2003. And she retired in, um, in that year. And actually, it was just after a few months 
since I had started here at the V&A as an assistant curator. So for me, it was, um, I have to say, very sad to see her leaving after just a few, a few months. Um, but this uh, fellowship, the opportunity of this fellowship came up and we uh, used the opportunity to set up a program and we were particularly interested in looking at some under-researched areas of the collection, particularly the ceramics collection dated to the Ming and Qing dynasty. Um, and we had identified a few um, under-researched areas because just the year before, Rose and I had been working on a book on Chinese export ceramics that gave us a very good idea of what was available in the collection and what needed to be studied a bit more. So in fact, the Monument Fund Fellowship, that is a scheme meant for uh, retired uh, museum staff to um, share their knowledge to younger generations of uh, museum curators, was also an opportunity to make knowledge and to open up new fields of um, research and exploration. So it is really sharing and developing uh, knowledge. So we set up um, our program. We had um, a full set of uh, questions that we wanted to answer. And we worked a lot in, uh, in the stores of the museum, uh, taking photographs, uh, documenting the uh, pieces that we wanted to know a bit more, looking at the archival records um, and really trying to um, uh, go a bit more in depth in terms of dating and attributions. But another aspect that I think is relevant for your workshop here is that part of this uh, Monument Fund Fellowship also included uh, outreach uh, programs and also the um, development of a specialist uh, network um, groups. So we decided to have uh, three um, workshops in, um, um, at the V&A and in other museums in the uh, UK. And the first one was in uh, uh, Stockholm-Trent that was facilitated by uh, Claire Blackie, uh, who in fact was also a curator of um, a very, very good and interesting exhibition in uh, Stockholm-Trent during that period. So we extended the invitation to various curators and specialists in other museums across the UK. And you can see Kate Newham there, who is also here at the at workshop, but also James Lean from the Fitzwilliam Museum and uh, Michelle Lee uh, from Bath, who is now in Stockholm, uh, Ming Wilson and Anna Wu from the V&A, uh, Rose Carr is here um, from the back, and Stacey Pearson from the School of Oriental and African Studies. And then we also had Lars Tarp, uh, you may know him from um, uh, television programs, who is an expert in uh, ceramics and also Chinese uh, ceramics. And we spent a bit of time with him because at the same time during the Monument Fund Fellowship, there was also uh, a BBC um, documentary that was filmed uh, at the VNA and Rose and I participated to that as well. And it was conducted by Lars Tarp. The second uh, workshop was at the VNA and it was a fantastic opportunity. Uh, it was very specialist. There, um, it was really very much about technology and uh, production techniques uh, focused on red monochromes of the Qing dynasty. And um, we had, um, again, various curators. You can see familiar faces uh, there. And also Helen Brown from Cheltenham Museum, uh, Nigel Wood for, for, from Oxford. So it was amazing to have all these people around uh, the same table uh, discussing Chinese ceramics. <coughs> Um, and then the third one was in uh, Worcester, in the Worcester Porcelain Museum. And here we took some time in looking at their collection, um, especially Chinese export uh, porcelain. And also we gave a couple of presentations on, the, um, um, on blue and white uh, for export. This um, workshop was extended to dealers of the areas and also collectors. So we, we had a sort of mixed um, uh, composition uh, there. Uh, during the Monument Fund Fellowship, we also took some time to have uh, trips um, to museums or places where there were uh, collections relevant to what we uh, were studying. 
and also some other uh, very uh, brief um, study sessions with uh, um, experts and curators. And here we have um, uh, John Ayres, who was the keeper of the Asian Department from 1970 to 1982. And it was amazing to have John Ayres and Roscar together looking at um, objects um, again, as in uh, the uh, old times. Uh, but we also had um, other people coming over, Nigel Wood from Oxford, or even uh, we also had some London dealers coming. And it is very, very interesting to hear what they have to say on objects, because they can have uh, a, um, an eye that can really contribute, I think, to the development of the discipline. And finally, this is my last uh, slide. You can see you know, three generations of curators, John Ayres, Roscare, and me, around um, an object. And still, after three generations of uh, curators, we don't know what <laughs> that object is. So, oops. Thanks, Lisa. And then Miranda. Thank you. Um, that looked worryingly like a Toby jug. <laughs> Sorry to go off a slight tangent, but uh, the Chinese making Toby jugs is really scary. I thought it was pretty much confined to the UK. Is nowhere safe. Right. Um, we've just received funding from the Arts Council to um, reform um, the ceramics uh, network. We had money um, six, seven years ago now, in uh, 2005 to six. Um, through the Renaissance in the Regions programme, which funded a one-year post based at Stoke-on-Trent. And that person was able to set up a couple of meetings, call people together, do a survey of what the level of um, <coughs> ceramic collections and ceramic provision was across the UK. Now, because the post was based in Stoke-on-Trent, <coughs> we were very much looking at British ceramics and... When you're looking at British ceramics, you have an awful tendency to find that most of them tend out, turn out to be Staffordshire. So we had a pretty fair idea of the um, range that was being held in various museums across the country and the level of curatorial expertise within those museums, whether there was a dedicated post with ceramics in the title. I, mean, I still have ceramics in my title and I'm one of very few now uh, across the country. Um, in other cases, uh, ceramics came under decorative arts and in a few cases it came under social history. But it was a very useful, we did a, a survey, we've still got all the results for that. And for that 12 months it was a very good way of getting a baseline of, of, of what was out there and who was out there. Um, when that uh, funding finished, uh, the post holder moved on and um, responsibility for maintaining that became part of another person's job. Um, they then in turn left and the network effectively fell into abeyance. So we were delighted when the Arts Council uh, agreed to fund for 12 months um, a revival of the network. And I'm assuming... Yeah, there we go. Um, at Stoke-on-Trent, the majority of our collections are indeed Staffordshire and after that British, but we have collections from around the world. And in most museums, um, the ceramics would come to decorative arts and it would tend to be around about 1650 and later and predominantly European. But in Stoke-on-Trent, if it's made of pottery, it counts as ceramics. So we've got everything from Earth the Chaldees through to contemporary studio ceramics. And that includes large uh, amounts of Chinese, Japanese and Korean pottery, Islamic ceramics, Italian maiolica and other European pieces. And... Um, the, the focus, uh, until quite recently, has been on the British collections, and that's why it was wonderful with the Monument Fellowship, when we were able to um, bring more attention to the Chinese material, which was entirely as a result of um, the appointment of Claire Blakey a few years ago, who was brought in to catalogue the Chinese material and the other Far Eastern material, and who subsequently we've been able to run smaller projects to look at other areas. So in looking at the Ceramics Network revived, what we're trying to do now is to raise the profile not just of, of our non-British collections, but also to reach out to those museums which have got uh, British collections that they perhaps don't have anybody in post who is specialising in ceramics, 
and those people who have also got small amounts of, of non-British collections, but not well, they don't perhaps feel that they quite fit into the, the Chinese network or the emerging Islamic one because they've only got a few pieces. So we want to be a, a point where people can come together and then find out more um, by ending up with the right groups. So one of the things that we're going to be doing is um, rerunning that survey that we did back in 2005-06 to see what the state is now. And um, it does seem very much from uh, talking to colleagues that the, um, the amount of pots in collections haven't gone down any, but the amount of curators looking after them has seriously diminished. Um, what they feel they need in terms of support, we've been running uh, a number of uh, one-off training days for people who've now got responsibility for ceramics collections who want to know a little bit more about certain areas, and those have proved quite popular. So we want to formalise that. Sharing knowledge across organisations and with other SSNs, um, and um, organising study days and visits, giving people a, a, a place where they can search for and find information that's both for the specialist and the non-specialist curator, and um, the other thing that we've already started, which I'll give you the details of, is a blog spot and uh, email, so that people can email into us and then we can circulate it out to those on the Ceramics Network mailing list. So if you would like to join that, we'd be delighted. Um, we are... Um, I've just put a few pictures in because um, our collections cover this, and so we've got Islamic, Chinese, English, uh, 18th century there, um, industrial ceramics and 20th century industrial ceramics. There is also a studio ceramics network funded by the Arts Council and we're also working with them because again many collections uh, come right up to the present period. One of the first things that we're going to be doing um, is um, just organising a study day at Stoke-on-Trent uh, looking at the Spode Museum, collect Spode Museum Trust's archive and our collection of Spode ceramics. The Spode Museum Trust has got best collection of Spode ceramics in the country. They've got a small display just opened on the site of the old Spode factory, um, funded through the HLF for the next two years. But their archive, which goes back to when the firm was established in the late 18th century, is held and is looked after by the city archives. And the former curator of the Spode Museum collection is coming in as a consultant to the archives and uh, if, you, if any of you have got any Spode pottery and you've got an inquiry about Spode, please contact the City Archives via the network if necessary, um, and Pam Willis-Croft will be able to answer any question on Spode there is. And the lovely thing about the Spode factory is that, as was the case with so many uh, firms in Stoke-on-Trent, is that they had a worldwide market. So you can look at the pattern books and the archive material, and you can see that they were making pieces of shapes which were specifically for certain markets. They were making rice dishes for the Indian market, for the uh, Southeast Asian market. They were making pieces with inscriptions on in Arabic. They were um, producing decoration which was aimed particularly at, say, um, the, the Philippines, very specific areas. And right up until the present day, the prestige department at Spode was pretty much kept going by orders from the various oil states who were wanting very high quality hand-painted and gilded sets and that was keeping the hand-painted department at Spode going again for um, uh, a Middle Eastern uh, market predominantly. So what we're doing on that day is, is looking at the collection there, the archive collection, and looking at how you can draw out the information, what you can search for, what you can find and how it can actually inform the collections that people have uh, that they're also taking care of. And we'll be doing a bit of pot handling in the afternoon. So if you want to come along, let me know. Here we are, Ceramics Network, sharing knowledge, exchanging news and understanding Ceramics collections. Our, our blog spot is, is up and we've got a little bit of stuff on it and we'll be adding to that uh, very shortly. We've got an email um, address as well, so if any of you are interested, do drop us a line. And I know just from talking to people today uh, who've got... Um, various responsibilities, they've got a few pieces of Staffordshire pottery popped away in the back room, they're doing um, inventories in the next few months and so on. Um, if you're looking for information, get in touch with us. If we can't answer, we'll probably know somebody we can put you in touch with. And uh, it's really a way, we hope, of 
taking a, a snapshot of what's going on across the country and helping people to feel that they're not alone, even if within their own institution there's nobody else that they feel they can talk to about POTS. Thank you very much. Thank you, Miranda. And then our last pop-up is Sarah Felt from the Art Fund. Um, I have no slides, so I don't... Yeah. Ah, there we go. Um, you, you, you talk. Should we make that? You talk. Some, are you gonna... Can we make that full screen? How do, how do we Just do this? Go to the cup at the bottom. Where? where? Yeah, that's it. No, next to it, next to it, next to it. Next to it. That, that way. way, yeah. Okay. Press again. Oh. No, no, just talk. Just talk. I'll just talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, OK, well, uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, I'm Sarah Philp, and I'm head of programmes at the Art Fund, and I head up the team at the Art Fund that um, looks after all our various grant-making schemes. And I would uh, first like to thank Marion for having us here today. Um, I will not speak for very long, um, I just wanted to take this opportunity to let you all know some of the work that um, we've been doing supporting museums who are collecting um, specifically contemporary art um, from the Middle East, um, but also to talk to you about um, how our grant making works and um, a couple of schemes that you can apply to us uh, to help you uh, grow your uh, collections and develop your own kind of curatorial um, areas of interest. Um, so I think the first, um, the first thing to say, and I think the reason that I was asked here today is because of our Art Fund International Scheme, um, which has been running for nearly five years. It's about to finish. Um, and um, that was specifically designed to um, address um, a need to uh, build up collections of international contemporary art um, in the regions and we've been working with five museum partners. We have been working with uh, MIMA in Middlesbrough, the Towner in Eastbourne, uh, Glasgow Gallery of Modern Art, uh, Birmingham um, Art Gallery and the New Art Gallery in Warsaw who have been working together and um, last but by no means least uh, Bristol and Kate's here. Second shout out for Kate <laughs> in this session. Um, and uh, what's important to say about, about that scheme is that most of the collections were thematic, are thematic, uh, rather than um, geographically or culturally focused. But within that, um, there have been some fantastic acquisitions, and at Bristol in particular, um, who have bought works um, by artists including um, Akram Tatari, Imran Qureshi, and uh, Walid Raad. Um, and um, we're very kind of excited to see how those collections develop and the ways in which they develop, inspired by days like today over the next few years. The second scheme I want to talk to you about, which is also um, a, a, a closed scheme, um, which is running for the next year, is, is called Renew, and it's similar, um, kind of very focused collecting with a small number of museums. And um, of particular note there, I just wanted to flag that um, uh, Wolverhampton Art Gallery and the Imperial War Museum have joined forces to collect contemporary art by, um, by artists which responds to and reflects on the uh, conflict between Israel and Palestine and uh, that, the wider implications of that conflict in the Middle East. So it's a really interesting and, um, and very brave collection and I'm very excited to see how that develops as well. Um, what we hope is with both of those schemes that uh, collecting will continue and will be absorbed into our um, normal grant making, which is for any acquisition uh, of any fine or applied art uh, or any object that you can argue is fine or applied art uh, from prehistory until right up until the present day. So please, when you're thinking about developing your collections, do please, if you, if you don't already, and I know many of you do, pick up the phone, give me a call or one of my team a call and, and talk about your ambitions. Um, we have around £4 million a year that we give away. Um, so, you know, there is, there is funding to go round, um, even as everyone's budgets um, are increasingly squeezed. Um, but the last thing that I wanted to mention, and um, hopefully of particular interest to everyone here, is... Uh, a curatorial grant scheme that we're running, uh, funded by uh, Jonathan Ruffer, 
um, and called the Jonathan Ruffer Curatorial Grant Scheme. Um, the small grants of uh, 200 to the largest grant we've made is just over £5,000 uh, for curators to do collections-based research and to travel. And in fact, we have just awarded a grant to Wolverhampton and the Imperial War Museum, the curators who are working on that collection, to travel to Palestine next year. Um, so that money is available to all of you um, to develop your collections and, and to work together in the ways that you would, you would like to do so in the future. Um, and on that note, I just want to say thank you again for having me and thank you to Hedley. Um, and I think from the art form perspective, Hedley's point about um, creative diversity is, is really key. And, um, and, and I hope to talk to many of you about all your ambitions in the next few months. Thank you. So thank you, uh, Louise and Miranda and Sarah. For, and, uh, I mean, it was lovely to end on that last note of an offer of money. And um, what actually has been, for me, very kind of gratifying as we've gone through the day is actually, I think, for this, some of the stuff we're talking about here, without sounding too glib, you know, the resources we need kind of are there in different places. You know, we've heard from the HLF, we've heard from the Art Fund, the Monument Fellowships, we are, I'm looking at we are just supporting a new round of Monument Fellowships from uh, the Renaissance Programme. Uh, the Renaissance Programme, many of you will have uh, the Renaissance Programme running through your veins, a few of you may not. The Renaissance Programme is the Arts Council's central government funded programme for supporting English regional museums. Uh, it is about £43 million a year and it does mean we have got resources to support um, the sorts of things we're, we're talking about today. Um, Miranda mentioned subject specialist networks. We support, um, I'm getting the, the evil eye. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, a, a, a lot, the V&A Purchase Grant Fund uh, funds is funded from, uh, from Renaissance, which has obviously uh, run out of here. Um, subject specialist networks, which Miranda mentioned, uh, we support a, a network of subject specialist networks, and they're, they're their sole purpose is to allow people to network and allow people to share knowledge. And what we do recognise is that now more than ever, particularly within local authorities and where uh, we have slightly fewer specialists on the ground and they are more stretched, it is more important than ever that we have opportunities to come together and, and share, share knowledge. And that's also where the nationals come in. And it, it's been lovely today to, to hear the kind of love-in between the British Museum and the V&A, which is, almost brings tears to my eyes. Uh, but but um, knowing that taking, taking that out into, uh, into, into the wider museum community, and I know that both those museums, and indeed most of the nationals, are doing brilliant stuff regionally. But the more we can, we can make those threads and networks uh, uh, for all of us, the better. So um, we, we've got at least half an hour, we've got half an hour, and then we can carry on over. Do we have to pay for this wine tonight? Um, yes. Yes, okay. Well, the, the, even the V&A's generosity only goes so far. So, um, we, but we can carry on uh, conversations this evening. We have the op opportunity to um, consider some of the things we've, we've heard today. And it's been a huge range of stuff. But also think, well, how might we want to take this further? What, what, what might we want to do? And I'm particularly interested, obviously, to hear from those of you who are from English regional museums, um, but also to hear, hear um, other views as well. So, you know, as, as based on what we've been discussing and based on what people have heard, you know, does anyone want to offer a view as to what we might, we might want to do in this area as, as museum professionals going forward? British Museum. <laughs> Um, part of the love-in. Um, <laughs> like to have a love-in with other museums. Um, and um, just thinking about um, those other museums who are collecting. Just, I'm just thinking about the Middle East. Um, if there was, if there was a network that we could create. You know, all of us are fantastically busy, but but I think there are ways in which we can find time to do this. So whether we're talking about a you know, email network, or you know, I know that the VNA, you know, that Mariam's been talking about wanting to start collecting contemporary Middle Eastern ceramics and textiles and, and so on, and, and um, you know, other museums around the country have got more possibilities in terms of what they can collect. We only collect Middle Eastern works on paper. We have a very, very narrow remit, and I'm just wondering whether 
urban museums would, would welcome such a network? Does anyone from an English regional museum want to respond? Yes. Yes, I think we would um, welcome it very much. I mean, there's, a, there's a, a great sense of stepping out into the unknown, uh, really, we're, we're seeking to acquire contemporary um, work from the, from the Islamic world, and as well as sharing curatorial expertise, we also need to um, share curatorial experience as well, and, 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 and ways of working, ways of engaging with material. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, from our point of view, I think it would be really valuable to, uh, to, 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 to be able to participate in that kind of it, it, it's Sorry, please, yeah. Um, my yeah. voice is a bit croaky, but I'll do my best. I'd just make, like to make a, a little plea um, on behalf of people who've got a lot of Islamic material from outside the Middle East. To make sure that it includes African and uh, Uzbeki, I don't know if that comes from. And um, Indonesia, which is my sort of home patch, and we've got a lot of that material. And uh, we also need to engage with people with expertise in. Um, and so, where, where and where is that? Which, which, is which museum? Horniman. Horniman. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Absolutely. It's. I mean, it's it. It's a question you may or may not want to uh, address. Is that when we, you know, and and, Mariam and uh, Anna mentioned it right at the very beginning of the day. Is that when we talk about Islamic collections, are we being far too broad? I mean, is, is there such a thing? Are we, we're not being. You're shaking your head, but so so people are comfortable that this is a s single body of material, or should we be breaking it down, or breaking? We should be breaking it down. Yeah. Especially when you start talking about modern and contemporary, yeah. it becomes a different yeah. subject. Yeah. Isn't it? And it's, yeah. it, it strikes me, uh, and these are connected, but also there's the, there's the thing about collections. That, you know, if you like the traditional curatorial stuff, and then there's also we've heard fascinating stuff about engagement, um, and you know, f uh, and and expertise and showing expertise about that as well. Yes, I don't know. Sorry, oh, sorry. Um, do you want it from the beginning or just that? No, no, just that last little yeah, bit. Yeah, just wondering if there's space for um, collecting people's personal papers or just more modern collections from the British Muslim population. So I just wonder whether oh. that was something that could be included or if, if that's just something is to start with, actually try and do some compartmentaling and sharing up and, and getting a feel for what we are talking about and, and how, it might, how it might break down. Yeah. Yeah, I was to say that uh, the, um, the way that uh, each institution works is different. So um, we, we divide the Islamic world into two. And uh, Mariam and I and Moya Curry and uh, Salma cover the western end. And then South Asia and Southeast Asia is covered by other curators. But they're in the same department. I mean, I don't, I don't think we need to create, necessarily create very large numbers of uh, networks because we, we, what we need is people in each museum who know who the other people are that we need to talk yeah, to. Yeah, that's right. I, mean, I think if I could just add to that in terms of, I'm um, Rebecca Bridgman from Birmingham Museums. I think, you know, a lot of regional museums, they don't have the individual specialists. And if you work in a regional museum, you have to be you have to be able to do lots of different things and so you know um, we don't sort of necessarily have the luxury of having specialists in individual areas so it, in a way for me from my point of view it would be more helpful if there was an umbrella network mm -hmm. and maybe subgroups within that yeah. that people so that if there's at least something to as a starting point for people to go to um, okay okay that's, in, that's interesting thank mm -hmm. you Oh, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that the the suggestion was there that actually, in terms of regional museums, yeah, do, yeah, yell at me if you're not if you're not here. The the um, I'll just answer that. So, just explain if those of you didn't hear the the answer there was that um, 
because many regional museums, it is often one person looking after a very wide range of collections, an umbrella group, um, rather than immediately trying to break down into to smaller groups, might, might be preferred. Just to clarify what's meant, uh, I mean, I think it's brilliant to have uh, an umbrella group, but when you say Islamic collections, do you by default mean Islamic art? Because there are also a number of museums that deal with Islamic science, which arguably technology and also have an aesthetic beauty, which you could classify as, as Islamic art. So it's just not forgetting that there are other museums mm -hmm. across the country that aren't yeah. presented here. There's no other yeah. science museum, for instance. Yeah. They have a sizable welcome collection mm. of lustreware, mm. of ceramics. Um, but, but, but the focus on the, on the medicine side or the technology side. Yeah. So yeah. No, it's a very, very good point. I was in Oxford recently. Their Museum of Science has got an incredible collection of mm. Islamic. No, it's a very good point. Material um, culture. Something to think yeah, about. Material culture is the way yeah. mm. the, the troublemaker at the back. Is, <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> well, because I always ask you for money. <laughs> 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 uh, I, I just think it is really important that the, the um, audience engagement is not too far from the curator. Mm. It's really, really, really important. Especially if you're going to do a new network in the midst of the space of the parts. Yeah. Does, I mean, this may be, it might be the wrong thing to ask, because has, has anyone today, particularly people who may be from a Islamic background, has anyone been felt uncomfortable at all with anything that's been discussed? Or have you all felt this has all been the right sort of thing to be discussing at the right time? Yes, on that one. But it was really to follow on from that about um, engaging with audience. I was also, I was also stressed to engage more with academics who do lots of research on museum collections and then make an obligation on museums to archive all of that research. I mean, I've been in this situation where I've curated an exhibition and I've had to go to, I've had to outsource the research to someone else who's doing research on the collections, but it's not within our, our repository. It's not in our archives, which is quite ludicrous. So it would be good if we kind of liaise more sort of closely with the academics who are researching the collections that we're working with. I mean, that, that's another whole, we could have another day, couldn't we, on <laughs> how bad museums are at um, <laughs> managing knowledge. <laughs> yeah, filing. Yes. How, how bad academics are. At having consumed an enormous amount of your, their time, your time, and then collections, about giving you the results. Yes. <laughs> Stop. 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 Have everyone in this Uma. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, that was one of the things that was really useful about the uh, monument visit that we had to Stoke on Trent with Booth and colleagues was that um, the amount that we got from that, um, which you know, madly scribbling away and then entering up the information, because we got the academics. There, trapped in the museum. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the monument fellowships, in our in a, in a way, are evidence of how awful we are. That we have to wait for somebody to retire and then pay for them to come back to tell us what they learned when we were paying their salaries in the first place. But we, but they are for a short-term, very powerful way of. The brilliant thing was because uh, those um, brought a group of colleagues with her and brought them out of London. We were getting the advantage of some of the best specialists coming and looking at our collection, which we would never have been able to lure them individually into the stores. But it was brilliant that we got yeah. the information we got from that. Was it yeah. And it, it goes back to the value of a day like today and a value of subject specialist networks is that, you know, and that's, you know, we, we thought long and hard about subject specialist networks. What were they for? You know, and, and under Museums and Libraries and Archives Council, there was pressure to make them do stuff of immediate public benefit. And what we, Helen and I realised, no, actually, let others worry about that. It's about making sure people who understand stuff get together and share, share ideas. There will be public benefit down the line, and there must be public benefit, and there must be engagement. But that's not what we're doing straight away. I mean, does, there, does there exist a, a document which has every museum in this country with I mean, we're only interested in Islamic, but which has, you know, the Islamic. I mean, I seem to vaguely, well, there was something I seem to vaguely remember. Cornucopia. There was something which, which, which kind of had. The, 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 there yeah, was a beast called Cornucopia that did yes. try and do that, but it yes. it, it kind of fainted away. There was something, but it, I mean, is there an argument for actually starting that? Starting that, you know, I mean, maybe it needs it needs to, you know, commission a piece of work to to actually. You know, get ev at least everybody in this room sends in something which says what their collections consist of, and then it go and all. But it needs somebody to collate it. Mm -hmm. and it's been done for Japan. Yeah. 
Has and it? the Japanese embassy oh. initiated we, it. We don't know what we've got. No, there was Britain. an attempt at a census which the historians of Islamic Art Association oh, did. And they sort of asked around, it was sort of informally mm. done, mm. where they wanted to look at museums or universities, and they did ask. We won't solve, we won't solve all the museums' problems today, but that... I mean, you're absolutely right, actually. That's where it started. Which means it's much more mutable, so it can change over time. Exactly. And one can just gradually add. I mean, already, if everybody around this room, you know, actually sent in their stuff for that, for whoever's in music. But, I mean, in terms of the little problems we can... or little challenges we can address today, the idea of mapping where Islamic... Collections are Islamic and modern Middle East, however, yeah. Or, or yes, the, the, so you know, the, there is an exercise about what we're actually talking about in the first yes. place, then what's under the umbrella, and then how we can map it, then how we yeah. what the what the potential is that comes out of it. Well, I was wondering if Miranda could say more about the training days that you're doing and what how you've identified the subjects that you're doing your training in and who they're targeted um, we, at. We did some through the Renaissance and the Regions programme, which uh, Fila Birmingham organised. Um, and those were <coughs> quite popular. Um, we were then approached by um, Derby and Buxton Museums because they'd got some collections with which they weren't confident in what they'd got. And certainly at Derby, which has got an amazing collection of 18th century Derby porcelain, they'd lost their um, specialist in that. It's gone into the Death of Arts collection. And it was now being looked after by somebody whose background is entirely British archaeology. So they were pretty good up to about 1500 and a bit, bit wobbly after that, um, which was a real problem for them. So they came along and we just did a hand session on materials and types and styles and said, and we're at the end of the phone. And these are some books that you might find useful and these are some good websites and you know, give us a if you've got a problem. And that was, was very helpful. Um, we've, we've also found that. Um, just by, by networking, that there's clearly a demand for technical information. Um, because of where we are so content, because it's the heart of popular industry, a lot of our approaches have things are made, the, the things that go wrong. It's not just about style and uh, who collect them. It's, uh, it's about marketing, it's about who the audiences were and so forth, and the technology, how the technology will help you to understand the objects. And so that's a lot of what we're doing. And is there, do people here feel that they would like to attend training sessions about Islamic art? I don't know if we sort of <coughs> added it up somehow into different subjects. There's and a few nods. Nods. A few nods. Do you want to? Could I say a question? Loudly. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Please may ask. Yeah. You know, a question about the orphan. You were saying that we're right at the end of a five-year cycle of the international... Yes, um, it was, it was a special kind of initiative. You might have another one, or what's not in, in, in no, not in the same way, not with the same kind of funding package. Yeah. Um, but we we are looking to kind of grow the funding Contemporary international collecting, kind of, we put it to one side because we wanted there to be a focus on it, and we feel now that what we need to do is absorb it back in, mm -hmm. and it not just be about those five museums who have done great, <coughs> exciting collections, but somehow we need to grow those networks. Um, so, so it won't be exactly the same again. It won't be exactly the same again, but we want we want that high focus mm -hmm. to collect, we want it to, to remain. To remain and have as high a profile in our regular grant and have a legacy. Exactly. Yeah. And um, we hope over the next year to kind of continue to promote those um, those five partnerships and, and broaden it out and get information out there to other people about what's been going on and what they've been collecting. So kind of watch the space on that front. And the other thing, actually, I just wanted to say to follow on from what Henley was saying about um, there being no need for kind of instant public benefit, instant outcome. Similarly with the Jonathan Ruffer grants, we have no expectation that there will be, you know, a definite kind of public benefit material outcome coming out of any research grant. We under, understand and recognise that research is a process and, and it needs you need to be allowed to see where it takes you rather than knowing where you're going to get to.
Just going on to, or, or switching back to the public engagement um, stuff, would, would anyone want to offer anything further on good methods or, or good experiences for getting that right? Um, yes, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, an interesting visit from um, the Madawi Girls' School, the Faith School in Tower Hamlets. Um, and it was about 35 girls um, who all became um, organized by the Three Faiths Forum, um, who work with uh, Muslim, Jewish, and Christian groups um, together. Um, but this, this school, we were asked to give a talk about um, modesty and dress. And um, the girls all came in full hijab, niqab, and kumar. So they were completely covered, including you know, black gloves over their hands. So it's quite an audience to face and stand up and talk about fashion. <laughs> um, but you know, we sort of what we focused on was sort of um, modesty and dress and perceptions of dress in sort of throughout the history of Western fashion, how that had changed, etc. Um, and you know, we had a really great response from them, um, and there's some really nice feedback from the school because the girls were here for the day. They also did a workshop in the afternoon. Um, which looked at the sort of um, the kind of um, importance of an influence of Islam in sort of 1800s and 1900s in Britain, um, and so the you know the feedback was really nice. There was um, I think you know that there was a little report from the teacher who said that a great amount of historic knowledge was gained by pupils. Um, it was in fact an enriching experience for all the pupils, even girls who were less motivated in school, who really enjoyed the trip. Um, you know, things as British Muslims, we must learn about British history as it's essential to our full understanding of the society we live in today. And I feel this trip was the tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, so it was it was an interesting group because a lot of them, well, I think none of the girls had been to the museum before. Um, you know, and it was quite quite something, and they seem to really enjoy it. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of positive. We, we thank. I mean, thank you. I, we do still amazingly underestimate how foreign museums still are to you know large sections. Of the, you know, the, the the figures still vary, and you know, some say we're up to or nearing sixty percent of the population that go to museums. But that, even if it is as high as that, and it probably isn't, that is still forty percent. You know, four out of ten people who don't go to museums at all, and those are often people who not only don't go, they see them literally as foreign foreign things and therefore anything that we can do to make museums comfortable and familiar and worthwhile to people like that is incredibly important. Uh, on that note, Please, yeah. like, from the Wallace. Yeah. Um, for the last year I've been with the innovation audiences across London to respond to our Dutch works of art and they've made their own artwork in response and there's an exhibition at the Wallace collection at the but I think the thing that I've got most out of the project is seeing people who didn't ever come to the Wallace Collection before coming independently and bringing their friends and family and seeing them in their exhibition and showing off their work. And it's almost like they've got a voice in the museum now. Yeah, and also um, the kind of connections that we were making in the project was um, it's with the Dutch Collection and we were making a connection with Asian audiences. So some of the points that we've made, that were made earlier, that there, there has to be a connection with your heritage in order to have some access point. Um, in a way, our project proved that you know you don't necessarily have to have that as long as you know you you've got some hook to bring them in and um, keep them going. Yeah. Yeah. No. You. You. I mean, it's a lovely example of how. We need to remember, we, we don't want to get over-clichéd, we don't want to fall into e easy traps, you know. We need confidence in how brilliant our stuff is. And if it's brilliant to us and we can make it brilliant, it ought to be brilliant to, to anyone. You're going to... um, I'm Marilyn Green, I'm also from the V&A. Um, some years ago, I was part of a project um, which was called uh, HLF Project, Capacity Building and Cultural Ownership. And um, part of that was training guides from different cultural backgrounds to um, to learn to learn all about the collections here, how to research the collections, how to work with the public, etc. Conservation issues, cultural sensitivity issues, 
and they were trained as guides, and they still continue as guides. They um, initially they just did tours to book community groups, and they still can. And again, that's a way of engaging with, let's say, a, a group, um, certainly the Islamic groups. This is very much the case uh, that they feel very much more connected to the collections, having a guide who is, you know, personally from that faith. Um, and uh, then they also do tours which are making intercultural connections as well. Um, and they, they now do tours once a month in, to the, in the public programme as, well, um, as well. But certainly the making that connection and bringing people in from community groups who maybe have never been to the museum before, that, and as it was their first introduction to the museum, seems to work very well, especially with the Islamic groups. So. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, one of the most powerful things we have learned in recent years about engaging with communities is that, firstly, almost always there will be other people, intermediaries, who are already engaging with them. So, you know, that thing of you always trying to do it yourself first, try and find those people who are always working with them. And then the, the other thing is, um, don't, it's, it's like dogs for Christmas, in, in the, you know, don't work with a group and then drop them and go off and work with someone else because it will cause more you know, harm than, than good. You know, there's nothing worse than somebody feeling that they were being treated within a tokenist way. And it's that thing about keeping relationships. And it's nice to hear that, you know, what you're saying there. And I'd, would you like to say anything about yeah. the hard and how that assumably will be quite a, well, quite a, a problematic or difficult yeah, thing to do? That is a problematic and difficult thing to do because we were under no illusions that people weren't coming to the British Museum. They were coming to the Hajj exhibition. Mm. It happened to be at the British Museum. Mm. Mm. And um, so we did find what was, what was quite good because you couldn't get any tickets towards the end that you know, you, somebody would come in at 10 and they couldn't get a ticket till 2, um, for example, that you would see people you know, in, the, in the rest of the museum and, and you know, sometimes it was clear that they hadn't been there before. Um, so, but the, the, the difficulty is how to, and we've just been talking about this actually, how, how you know, because, it, our, because the Hajj exhibition is so different from our mm. Islamic mm. art mm. gallery, mm. which doesn't really say anything about religion, it's all high art and you know, Islamic art, the way that we you know, all work on it and so on in that way. And, and this is this is something actually very challenging for us. Is mm. uh, is how do, how do we how do we do that? Mm. I don't know. Mm. Anybody have any ideas? You know, I think it has to be it has to be connected to a thing somehow. You know, an event. Um, you but, know, we can't but, just expect people to just to want to come and look at our. No, narrative. no. But but at the same time, there, there is kind of a responsibility. There's almost yes. uh, so. Look, yes, yes. We we hugely value you as a community. Yeah. But if you're saying that, you have to say, well, we're we're still going to value you in five, ten, fifteen mm -hmm. years, yeah. and you know that is a responsibility. I mean, for what us. we what we do is we always for all our exhibitions, you know, we have community previews and and all that. So you know, a lot of the community preview work we did for Hatch, you know, we we do for everything, whether it's Shakespeare or Pompeii coming up or. or so, so there is that, certainly for Camden, because we work a lot with Camden, because we're their museum, and, and so there is a lot of work that's there. So, so they're not abandoned. It's the ones, the people who've come from much further afield. Sure. Do, do you guys from Brighton want to offer anything about that? You don't have to? No. Could, no, yes, no, could yes, I, no. Could I ask no. Benicia something? Unless you've got something, do you want to say something? No. no. Um, it was just that during Hajj, you you worked with regional museums, didn't mm. you, to have sort of connected exhibitions? Um, and I know about one that was in, at the Whitworth yes. in Manchester, but did you have others as well? I mean, is there, are there partnerships that you've developed through having those sort of tie-in exhibitions to the Hajj that you could continue in some way? Mm. Well, um, the, the main one was the Whitworth, mm. and so they took the work of Idris Khan and, and other work that he'd done, which was Hajj-related, and had, had, it, had it there. We did, I have to say, um, I was a bit disappointed that we couldn't do more with other, other museums, actually. And um, there, was, there, was a, there was an idea um, to try and get artists to go, and this was under the umbrella of the Edge of Arabia team because um, we'd worked with them before. And they did manage, they did go to a few museums, I think in Leeds and Luton and a couple of other places, and they, they did do some, some work and, you know, brought new audiences in and, and, you know, created something. But it wasn't, um, 
wasn't as, I didn't feel it was as substantial as it, it could have been, and I was sorry about that. And, and I think part of it was a resource issue. You know, we, you know, we didn't have the money to go to say to, you know, museum, look, you know, here's 10,000 pounds, you know, you go off and do you know, things. I don't know whether anybody here was involved in that. I'm from, I'm from Leeds, and I can tell you we actually didn't pick up on the offer oh, because yeah. Thank you. Um, did you want to make a comment at the back? Um, don't worry if you don't. No, well, I was just, I was just thinking that um, I was just reflecting on um, projects we did with um, local Muslim men in particular um, who uh, were working with a local Moroccan artist um, and we invited them on, on a series of occasions into the museum to look at uh, manuscripts and printed material in the collection. Um, and it was extremely interesting um, for us because um, uh, we had some really incredibly interesting discussions about, about the texts. But what stuck with me was um, their fascination with a particular um, Iraqi 9th century Quran leaf. And they said, these are the 19th century things, all very nice, but we want more like this. Have you got anything more like this? And we had to say, no, sorry, this is the only one. But because of its age and its, and its, and its closer association with the prophet, they, that was the one they loved, which is why I think it would be fantastic to have a touring exhibition of, of really old, amazingly high-quality things from the national collections. Um, that could go around regional Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll live with that idea. Thank you. There's, we're going to do, there's, there's a question here um, or a comment, and then we're going to give, if anyone, we're going to have one more, if there is one burning question or comment, and then I'm going to allow a tiny bit of summing up before we, have, we pay for our wine. So, <laughs> so, so it's just to thinking from a perspective about both continuing our relationships built in the project that Harriet described, and I think ours is obviously on a smaller scale, but perhaps maybe would say something about how um, she has worked in other ways for the museum with events and other programming. Also, how contemporary collecting facilitates to, uh, this, uh, sustaining those kind of relationships is an opportunity to, and I think at Brighton it was a really interesting way of working on new acquisitions and working with, with, with young Arabians like Linda. Um, uh, in terms of new acquisitions, also just to, 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 to thank the V&A Purchase Grant Fund, who, who also have supported our new acquisitions at Brighton for, for the gallery. And lastly, <coughs> an observation that because of the demands of gallery development work, Harry and I, and I had to work with a, a freelance historical researcher um, to look at some of the, to unpack some of the kind of background information for the objects we were working with. And I wonder whether there might be opportunities to create bursaries or schemes, perhaps working with the AHRC, where museums are able to, to bring in academic specialism to work with curators for a period of time. And I think you know, we, we both now have benefited from, from working with the, the historian and, and that information is embedded in our collections management system. And I think maybe there's a, an opportunity there through the network or, or through the AHRC. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, we, we touched on it very briefly early, the, the whole academic engagement. And, and again, you know, this is a subject that is very important academic at the moment, so, but that's another thing we might, you're right, absolutely right, right, 
we might come back to. So I'm going to allow one last question or comment, if there is one. Just because got everyone you. else yeah. has. <laughs> this is just to share with the uh, colleagues here. Uh, Glasgow <coughs> Museums has the Open Museum, which is the outreach arm. And the whole agenda of that um, part of the service is to go out to those who don't come. And it's not about encouraging them to come. It's going and doing the thing there with them. And with regards to the Muslim community, they entered about 13, 14 years ago an agreement with Glasgow Central Mosque to set up permanently two showcases, museum showcases in the mosque itself, in an area that is accessible to everyone and out of prayer's way. <laughs> and we install annually a display in it using our collections. Uh, as valuable as they are, um, we, we put them there. And the choice of objects and themes is with the elderly daycare center members of the mosque. And this is a commitment that's been going on for uh, a very long time. And the mosque takes responsibility for the security of the objects and the cases. And they've done their insurance and all the rest of it. They also hold the keys to the showcases. And that is part of the agreement. And uh, if there is wood near anyone, touch it, please. Nothing's happened so far that has compromised the, the, the objects or the relationship. Of course, there are no-go areas like I'm sure uh, you, you had in the Hajj. We don't, they choose objects that do not conflict with their ideology, theology, etc. Uh, but there's every year a theme very different to the theme before. We've not run out of ideas yet. And that's, uh, so it's, uh, if they don't come, and you can, you just go out. I, sorry, I'm going to, unless it's really, really quick, and, yeah, yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Thank, thank you. Thank you for that last point. Okay, we're, we're going to stop because we're over time. In a second, I'm going to ask Mariam to tell you what you can or can't do next. But very briefly, uh, I've, I've, I've had a, I think it's been a brilliant day. Uh, I've really, really enjoyed it. It's been incredibly stimulating from so many different angles. Loads and loads of stuff to think about. I hope everyone will go away with new ideas. But I think what what you have told us, or the, the, the clear message, is that we need to sit down again and there is, a, there is an appetite here to take this, um, this, this brilliant subject forward and, and build some kind of network. And I, you know, I do take, take the observation from the back that that network needs to take just as seriously, serious, proper engagement with uh, communities as it does um, the engagement with the, the, the collections. So um, perhaps before we go to Mariam, can you join me thanking all of our speakers, thank you Mariam, and thanking yourselves for uh, contributing so well. Okay, if anybody has any energy left, um, there are now two gallery talks that you can participate in. Um, Moya is going to lead one group to the Jamil Gallery, and Sue Strong at the back, can you wave your arm, yeah, um, will leave, uh, lead another group to the Nehru Gallery. So maybe form into two groups outside, according to which gallery you'd like to go to. Um, they will take you till about, that, that'll be till about 5.30, just after 5.30. Uh, Friday late, the programmes, if you haven't picked one up, look like this, and they're on the table over there. It doesn't start until 6.30, though, so you have some time to go and collapse or have a glass of wine in the cafe. Do, do you, will people have to leave the museum? No, the museum stays open. So the museum is open until 10 anyway, so you can... Sorry? I was going to say, if um, there are some events on it which are ticketed, which are free, but um, you can go at 6.30 to the main information desk, and that's where the events that are ticketed. And the timings of all of those events are in the programme, so pick one of those up. Um, things that you might want to go and see if you wanted to have a look at anything um, Islamic in the museum that is not in either the Jamil or the Nehru Gallery are um, on the top floor of the museum is the ceramics galleries, which has um, most of our Islamic ceramics collection on display there. 
Um, not much Islamic um, material in the new furniture galleries, but they're fantastically beautiful, so please do go and have them. Are they not open? No, 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 no. Oh, God. So, okay, you can't go to the furniture galleries, so you have to come back. Um, the other thing that you might be interested in is that there's a small display um, at the bottom of the ceramic staircase. So as you walk past the cafe to the main entrance when you go with Moya and Sue, um, there's a display there on um, highlights of the Viennese African collections, which are not normally on display. So there's a lovely display um, in that gallery there. So I hope you stay and enjoy the evening in the museum. And thank you very much, all of you, for coming. I think it's been a really good day. I've got a lot out of it myself. So I um, hope that we all keep in touch. So thank you. Thank you.